Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You know where you are and you know what time it is. This is the Cashflow Guys Podcast, and my name is Tyler Sheff, and I'm your host. And this week, guys, we're going to talk about short-term rentals, how appropriate, because that's what we're doing down here in Key West to some degree. And uh, I know a lot of folks I've talked to over the years in the podcast have thought about doing short-term rentals, want to get started, but... Then you hit that brick wall, all that software, trying to figure out where you're going with it, right? Which you, maybe you figure out who you want to serve, the type of tenant you want to uh, attract to your short-term rental. But then you get into hooked into this, the black hole of software. It's like, oh, my God, there's a 100 different million tools out there. They all have a free trial. They all want you to connect to your Airbnb and Verbo accounts and all that good stuff. And you're like, holy crap, is that going to crash everything I'm already doing? We're going to answer those questions today. And joining me is Lauren Almond. Lauren is, she lives in Tampa Bay, Florida, and she is a podcaster as well. So we have an experienced podcaster, whether she's a real estate investor, lives in her home state of Florida. Actually, she's right down the road from where I used to be in Tarpon Springs, Florida. And her and her husband own, uh, own and they self-manage eight short-term rentals and four long-term rentals. So I imagine that's a full-time job all in itself, but we're going to learn more about that today. Um, Lauren, are you with us? I am here. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So you're about a hundred episode in with your podcast. That makes you officially an OG in podcasting. If you've been that many episodes, apparently you're here to stay. I sure hope so. That's the goal, right? Well, the good news is, but we're not regulated, so they really can't make us leave. <laughs> True that, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like FCC doesn't really care about us. I feel so left out. But anyway, uh, so you are you're in your thirties, and you guys started. Tell me the story. You guys. You were looking to escape the rat race, right? To outpace the the job. You, you've got the podcast going about essentially financial independence, and that all begins with getting a good handle on your money. What got what attracted you initially to the short term rental space? Yeah, so we actually set out just to house hack. So my husband and I got married in 2019. I was 29, he was 26, and so we always kind of generally knew what our finances were, but it seemed like that was a good time to really sit down and see what's our net worth together. What's our cash flow together and things like that. And we both have fairly high paying jobs. And I was thinking this is going to be a piece of cake. We're for sure going to be able to retire like super early. And when we ran the numbers, it really wasn't that way. Even, you know, making pretty good money, we were, we could retire quote unquote early, but at like 55 and that didn't sit well with me. I felt very unhappy about that. And so we already had at that point um, a primary house and a single family home. Right. And then we traded the single family home up to a duplex. So we already, and then we already had a rental too. And it still was looking like 55. So I remember one time my dad said to me, he's like, so what do you cash flow on that property? I was like a thousand dollars a month. He's like, so you're like a 10th of the way there. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> my poor heart. <laughs> and a thousand dollars a month cash flow. Half the people are out there listening right now going, that's a thousand dollars a month. My place makes 10. <laughs> no, I know. Well, that we, uh, we were able to pay cash floor cash for because we had, I had my, I bought my first primary when I was like 22, 23 years old. Nice. And and that was like 2012. So everything was super cheap in St. Petersburg, Florida. You know, it was $125,000 for three bed, two bath house. That's a $300,000 house now. But the, with the appreciation there and an extra like $40,000, I was able to go from one door to two doors and more rent. Um, and then we also, it was in kind of a bad area of St. Pete. So we paid cash so that if there were areas of long vacancy or, or things like that, we'd be able to cover it. So that's why I cash flowed $1,000 because we had to put quite a bit up on it. I see. And now... 
And the decision to pay cash back then, there's and here's my here's my opinion on it. There's no wrong answer here because, like for us, we're accelerating. We have um, most of our properties are free and clear now. We got one left that's got a mortgage, and we're accelerating pay down. And for us, it's because we're at the age now. We're 52, both of us, my wife and I, and we want to eliminate any debt service such that we can have higher cash flow and then not have to do a damn thing. So for us, it makes sense to to accelerate the payoff. We just don't want to mess around with the interest. Is that kind of what your thinking was paying cash or what would that look like? Well, I had saved myself, say $60,000. So I bought my first house and then I bought my second house, rented the first one out. And then I had another $60,000. And this is about the time me and my husband were getting married. And so I was making offers like left and right on duplexes. I was just getting beat out by cash offers. And so I literally had to, I felt like I had to pay cash to even get one. Right. That makes sense. I hear that. That's uh yeah, when we, uh, I'm a realtor as well. And those of you listen to the show know that. And one of the strategies guys, and I just want to kind of add a little value to this, a little extra value to this. When you're out making offers these days, there's, and what Lauren's talking about is avoiding a financing contingency. I totally get it because listing agents and sellers don't want a financing contingency because, Hey, the fact is most folks, not most folks, but there are a lot of folks out there that don't qualify or have trouble qualifying for a mortgage. Maybe they go out and buy a big screen TV like a week before closing. It's happened. Trust me. So the cash, Lauren, is more of a sure thing, right? You make your offer strong in the marketplace, um, and it puts you kind of in the run in the in the ring with the real players, right? You're you're in there with the investors, even if you're not an investor. So that's a powerful, powerful strategy. And guys, just one little side note. One thing you can do is you can make a cash offer, even though you're using financing, but know this, <laughs> you don't have the right to get out of the contract just because you're using financing if you write a cash offer. Because a cash offer means, hey, you've got to close unless you have some other things built in there. So that's a great strategy. I'm, I'm glad you're doing that. And that obviously, mm-hmm. God, you bought in 2012. So you must have an incredible amount of upside on those properties. Yeah, just the one in 2012. So I graduated college in 2012. So I went under contract when I was 22 and closed when I was 23. And so for a few years after that, I had to like buy a car. You know, I was still driving my first car that I got when I was 16. And so I saved up for that for a while. I did have a roommate. And so I was house hacking even back then. Right. And so I only had the one place. It took me five years to buy my second and rent that one out. So it was like when I was 27, I bought the second one, rent the first one out. And then it was when I was 29 that I traded that one up into the duplex and paid cash for for it. And another thing about the cash too, is it's a lot quicker close. We actually sold that duplex to a cash offer when we had a financing offer on it because in the cash offer was a little bit less, but we took that as a sell as a seller. We liked the cash offer too, for all those reasons that you said. And oh, it was like a nine day close or something. And for the buyer, there's no doc stamps on a, on a, on the note because there's no note, which is beautiful. Exactly. Which is just a fancy word for saying tax. Yeah. <laughs> tax. Yeah. Good God. So you you started in the long term in the in the annual rental or the maybe the monthly rental, the non vacation rental. At what point the shift then went into house hacking essentially? Yeah. I remembered back in the day when I bought that first house and my payment was seven twenty five and my roommate was paying me five fifty. Nice. And so we're looking at the numbers and it's saying we can retire at 50, 55. And I'm like, okay, what if we got rid of the house payment? Because our house payment, right? We're in Florida. So there was flood insurance as well. So we're talking, you know, principal interest, taxes, insurance, flood insurance was $25,000 a year. And if you think about taxes, it means you got to make like $30,000 just to pay the house. It's insane. 
And so I'm like, okay, we could pay the house off, but then that only helps with the principal and interest, right? You still have the taxes and insurance. And so I was like, what's another way we can do this? And so I brought up house hacking to my husband and he initially was like, absolutely not. We're not moving. We've been only been here three years. And I was like, no, 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 hear me out. And I just told him about (laughs) the numbers and stuff. And it actually only took him like 15 minutes to agree to look for places. Nice. And so we ended up, you know, you're obviously very familiar with this area, Tyler, but there's a, there's a trail that runs through like it's, it was a, it's a called, they call it trail over rail. And so where the train was, they've put this beautiful biking trail, running trail, rollerblading, whatever trail. It's like 45 miles long. And I really wanted to be able to leave my house on a bike and get to that trail and bike right on the trail. And so we started looking at all of these little towns along the trail here in Pinellas County. And one of the towns, which is called Dunedin, kind of had already had its like renaissance, became like a super bedroom community for a lot of young professionals for St. Pete, Tampa, Clearwater. And I felt that Palm Harbor and Tarpon Springs hadn't had that moment yet. And we really just fell in love with Tarpon Springs. I mean, you know, Tyler, obviously you have a property here, but it's like, it's, it's like the highest concentration of Greeks outside of Greece. So there's a lot of kind of really cool culture and food here. And there's a lot of tourists and the properties, we looked at two different properties and they were both very old homes, like hundred year old homes with two ADUs, which is accessory dwelling units. And it just made sense that we could get more money doing short-term rental than long-term rental those because we're in this tourist community. And so it started out with as this idea, we're going to house hack. I thought we might get like an above garage apartment and long-term rent it. We were still kind of thinking long-term rentals until we found Tarpid Springs, fell in love with it. It was good for tourism and one thing led to another. And then we had short-term rentals. I got to tell you, I am the smartest, the happiest I've ever been is the day that I figured out I could, I could do a vacation rental at my place in Tarpon Springs. It was like, and then the realization talk about house hacking, when my wife and I, we had, we rented, we started with one apartment. We had the little four unit fourplex and we started with one apartment basically because the tenant was only there half the year and he just paid rent all year long just so he'd have a place to go and not have to worry, you know, he lived up north half the year. So the place sat, literally sat empty. One of the apartments sat empty. So he come to me one day, he's like, hey, man, can I get a discount on the rent? I'm like, no, I was just getting ready to raise your rent. He's, so I started thinking about it. And I, I talked to him. I was like, look, man, it's right now you've got it. I mean, no offense, but he's got it furnished like, you know, 1984 called. I'm like, here's what I'm thinking. Take everything that's important to you, put it in storage next time you go out of town. I will then throw everything else away if you're not attached to it renovate your apartment, furnish it for you. And I will only charge you for the months that you're here and I'll put it on a lease and I'll sign it like a three, four year lease. And, but I get to rent a vacation rental the rest of the time. He's like deal. So really my investment in that, to, you know, changing that unit over, I spent like, I don't know, 7,500 bucks furnishing it and, uh, you know, de old manning it. So it doesn't smell like old spice anymore. And, uh, <laughs> next thing you know, that bad boy's taken down a couple thousand dollars, $3,000 a month. Um, you almost rental arbitrage your own place. Yeah, I did essentially. <laughs> so then, you know, we start like you were doing, we, we one at a time, you start growing one unit at a time. And before you know it, we look, we started realizing that, Oh geez, the other three units are each taken down between 22 and $3,000 a month per apartment. Well, we're in our own way. Literally us living here is costing us money. <laughs> yep. We, we got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. So, been there. Yeah. So we did. That's why we bought the motorhome. It's like, well, let's just go buy a motorhome, pay cash for a motorhome, and then let somebody else move in and pay, 
you know, and we just picked up another two, three grand out of that apartment. It's like, good night. I know. What a great community to do short-term rentals in. Yep. Love it. So before we get into software, I just want to touch on something that I want your view on it. You've been in different uh, markets, sub markets, I'll say in the Tampa Bay area, you've been in, and a lot of our listeners, probably 50% of my listenership is in the Tampa Bay area. So you did the St. Pete thing and, and you have Tarpon Springs and Dunedin and these different metros. And there's a lot of rumor, Lauren, about legalities. Oh, it's not legal. It's you know this, that, and the other. How much trouble have you had as far as legality? So the only place we have in Pinellas County is here in Tarpon Springs. Okay. We did live in Feather Sound. That's where that other primary was, but that's where we were just living. Okay. And we bought a commercially functioning bed and breakfast, which has lodging zoning. So we have overnight zoning. I believe technically here in Turpin Springs, at least you can get shut down. I know someone who had a property actually it was across the street and like one block over right. before we moved in and he got shut down. Cause there was a, like a huge party and you know, we just felt like we wanted to have the lodging zoning. We also went through, you know, the process of getting the license from the state and we make sure that we're collecting our tourist taxes and remitting them and and things like that. So we're doing everything by the book. That said, I joined the chamber recently here in Tarpon and they were like, yeah, we're so It's so great to have some Airbnbs here. People call and ask us about it all the time, but we don't really know those owners or where they are. And I'm thinking, that's because they're kind of operating in a gray area. I think right. maybe they don't want to tell they're you. They're scared. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple over there by Spring Bayou that uh, they've, they, 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 a couple of years ago, they had some grief before, I think before you moved to Tarpon and before you bought in there, I was like the OG in Tarpon. I was the first vacation rental in Tarpon Springs. Um, Thank you for paving the way. <laughs> right. Well, I've, here's the deal. The city tried to shut me down and I dug and dug and dug. And my wife's mom used to work at the city. She retired from the city. And I know everybody downtown, I'm like, what is the problem? They're like, well, we're not, there's nothing in it for us, for the city of Tarpon Springs. And those of you listening to this episode understand that a lot of times the grief that you get or you hear in your local marketplace is, is based on ignorance essentially from the officials down at city hall. And in, in our community back then it was, we're not getting any tech and additional tax revenue. I'm like, that's odd because I pay 13% lodging tax. Why aren't you getting a piece of that money? Come to find out Somebody in the city hadn't done their job and filed some paper so they would be entitled to that tax revenue. So I did the homework for them, went down the rabbit hole, got on the phone with Tallahassee, and I helped them bridge that gap. And they were like, oh, thank you, Mr. Chef. And it's like, now can I go back to what I was doing? They're like, yes, you can because you're zoned commercial. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. It's like, goodness Well, also, even separate from that, There's people coming here and, you know, they're going to Hellas, they're going to the sponge docks, they're buying the Greek food, they're buying the sponges, you know, to say, even if they're not getting the lodging tax, which of course they should be. And I think they're entitled to that. And I think that's great, but they should also understand that having tourism here, there's not a lot of hotels or anything. So as many people as we can run through here, they should be really happy about it. You would think so. And they are now, they've really shifted a lot since they want to attract the millennial audience to Tarpon Springs, which is fantastic. Uh, because they're spending money. So guys, if you're in your local community and you're hearing this grief about nobody wants short-term rental, that's not necessarily that opinion doesn't represent the entire marketplace. And that's the case in Tarpon Springs because there are a lot more people in Tarpon Springs that are for vacation rentals because they have a lot of stake in the tourism industry in Key West, or not, I keep saying Key West, but in Tarpon Springs. 
um, your communities are probably for it and it's good for the local economy. Now that said, people like Lauren and myself, we're, we're not renting party houses. Okay. Um, I know Lauren, you probably have a, a specific type of guest that comes and stays there and it's not the spring break crowd. Is that accurate? That's accurate, except one time that did happen to our place in Hudson, but never here in Tarpon. And we have um, some places in Cedar Key now as well. And we have tackled that problem by having smaller places. Our right. biggest places are two bedrooms. And I mean, if you can have, we did have one you know, group of kids try to throw a party at one and we, we got them out pretty quickly. So that's one in 200 you know, guests. So it's really not that bad of a ratio when you no. think about it. And the smaller places, I think help if you have a four or five bedroom place. I mean, I've talked to some hosts who swear by it. They're like, I can make a thousand dollars a night or $1,200 a night, whatever it is. And that's great. But if you have four or five bedrooms, you're going to have a lot of people. And I don't know what technically constitutes a party, but if you have two people in every bedroom, you've got 10 people there. And if they have some drinks, is it a party? You know, it's, it's, it's very easy to kind of get from point A to point B, but also you can write your listings in a certain way to uh, tailor them towards families, right? Or you can put things in your listings, uh, like maybe high chairs or pack and plays or beach stuff. And you can kind of tailor your listings to attract, you know, retired couples or families as well. Exactly. And that kind of brings us to, the management of the whole thing, right? Systems. You've got eight rentals now, mm-hmm. 12. Well, right. You got eight short terms and four long terms yeah. and you guys are both working full time. Yep. Yep. Um, you're heading towards the exit from the rat race. How the heck do you manage 12 units? I know lots of the listeners are thinking, how are you handling 12 units? That's 12 sets of personalities on any given day. <laughs> That's probably 36 dumb questions because people don't read your emails <laughs> and don't read your ads. How do you keep up with all that? Well, we started with three. So when we bought this bed and breakfast that I mentioned, it had two accessory dwelling units. So one was a two car garage that had been closed in. And then there was a shed that is like a she shed. So right. it's like an efficiency. And then there was a mobile home, which we had rolled out and we rolled a camper in. And so we rented that as well. And we did that from January to September right. on platform natively. So on VRBO and Airbnb had the calendar synced, but you have to kind of maintain your listings in each place and keep track of the communications in each place and things like that. And the cleaners too, it just, it became pretty cumbersome. And we knew that if we were going to add any more, we had to add some systems behind it. We had to automate more of it. Absolutely. And so when we bought a duplex in Hudson, which is half long-term, half short-term, right. so we have long-term tenant on one side, short-term on the other. And we did the same thing as you. We realized we were sitting on some money in our primary. So when this place rents out, we go to Hudson. There <laughs> you go. Anyway, so when we added that and our primary listing, so then we went from three listings to five listings. That was the tipping point where we knew we're going to put some systems in place. And the first thing that is really important besides the cleaning, I mean, I think we can all decide, you know, the cleaning is the most important thing of your Airbnb and the cleaners, it's hard to find. It's, it's a very particular kind of person who can be both very detail oriented and also have a very high level understanding of business. And they, they need to be able to walk into a unit and look at it like they're a guest, look at it like they're a cleaner and look at it like they're an owner. And so that's important. And that's, so there's the communication with the cleaner and then there's also communication with guests making sure that they understand what the house rules are, how to get there, 
how to operate the Wi-Fi, the TV, the thermostats, how to get in, what their code is, when check-in is, when check-out is, where the garbage is, right? These are all kind of frequently asked questions that you're going to get if you don't streamline your communications effectively. Absolutely. And so that was number one. And so we got a property management software, which is called Owner Reservations or Owner Res. And that allows us to have one point of truth for listings. So when we brought new listings on this year, we only put them in owner res and then owner res fed that to VRBO and Airbnb. I see. Okay. So they're, they're kind of like the, the main website type of thing, right? And then that's where you're going to put the pictures and the pricing and the description, all that, which is cool because sometimes I would forget, I would update something in Airbnb and forget to do it on VRBO, for example, that eliminates that problem right off the bat. Guilty as charged. I remember because they didn't have that stuff when we first started. It was like, oh, geez. I know. Um, yeah, I bet. <laughs> so now with owner res, you put the, the listings in, it it syndicates everything, I guess is the proper word for it, right? Syndicates everything out to all the different websites because there's a ton of, I don't know how many websites you're on these days, but I mean, good night. There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, and then you get on something like booking.com, a.k.a. the short-term rental nightmare. And yeah. then they have like 30, 40 websites that they put stuff out on as well. So yeah, now if everything's consolidated, so your messaging and everything is all built into owner res. Yes. So we then created a, you know, system messages. So, well, there's obviously the calendar and I can make it so that the cleaner can see the calendar, but not like guest names or any personal information. They can just see how many adults, how many kids, how long, and where are they? When are they checking in, checking out, stuff like that. So they can see the calendar. We also have communication. So I have a communi- when there's a booking or cancellation, my cleaner also gets an email automatically. And also the guests at that point gets communications about, hey, thanks for booking. Now you need to complete your reservation. You need to complete it by signing a renter's agreement. Right. And you need to you need to complete it by putting in a security deposit. And that security deposit is actually processed through Stripe. So I don't ever actually get their fine. It's not like I get their credit card number. Right. They're putting that in there. And it's very small. It's $100 for most of our units. It's $250 for our primary or the, or the place in Hudson. And we've had a couple of people balk and cancel. And I'm kind of okay with that. Because yeah, oh yeah. If you won't put a hundred dollars up, I'm sorry. I just, I don't want you in my place. That means you're doing $500 worth of damage intentionally. <laughs> That's what that tells me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just so oh. wild. Yeah. So the, they immediately get something that says, Hey, fill this out. And pe- pretty much people do that immediately. And then what's really cool about owner res as well. So once people have paid, right. Once people have put in their security deposit, once they've signed the renter's agreement, then a trigger goes off three days before their stay at 9 a.m. where they get their welcome instructions automatically. It also, what uh, owner res allows you to do is set a code for the guests and the code will automatically populate into this email as well. And then there's another software that we have that we can talk about that integrates with the locks and automatically sets the locks and then removes the code when the guests leave and things like that. So there's a lot of automation that's happening with the welcome instructions. And that really answers pretty much every question. And obviously I'm tweaking like still every day, probably every time I get a question a couple of times, I tweak that, but you know, and you can put, there's a section in there called the house manual and that automatically can go into the welcome instructions and that's specific per property. So there's some general stuff. Here's your check-in date. Here's your checkout date. Here's your code. Here's the life, whatever. But there's all this specific stuff. Where's the garbage? Uh, are there, you know, I'm the one where I have long, when I have long-term tenants if, in the, whether it's in, you know, Cedar Key or in Hudson it says there's long-term tenants there, please respect them. 
they're trying to live their life, right? Here's the parking instructions, whatever. So there's a section for that as well. So it's really awesome because it can pull all of this automation. All It can automate basically all of these frequently asked questions and automate them away for the most part. And it happens automatically. So I don't have to worry about it. The one thing I do every morning for about 15 minutes, I look at the calendar and I check any listings for the next two or three days to make sure that I have the security deposit in the renter's agreement. Right which means that then the welcome message can go and they'll be able to get in and all of that. So do you, boy, I'm learning a lot by talking to you. So do you, um, do you have the, make them sign the contract and do a deposit no matter what booking channel they come in on Airbnb, whatnot, or is, is that very? Yes. Everything I've added recently, I've added recently a jot form where they have to upload their ID as well, but I just have that for VRBO and direct bookings from my website. I see. Okay. That's smart. That's smart. So the, the reservation gets booked. Now the guest gets their combination for the lock. How does the lock know the combination? Because I have August locks on my units, which for the most part are, are okay. Is that what you're using or are you using something different? We have Schlage encodes. And these are Wi-Fi locks. They're not Bluetooth locks. And you don't need to have a separate hub for them. Oh, so they, cor- they connect directly to the Wi-Fi. That's, I, just, I didn't want to have <laughs> anything extra, you know. And what, what we look... What we learned about these, the reason we bought these is because if they get disconnected from the Wi-Fi, let's say the power goes out or whatever, they will reconnect automatically. I've heard horror stories about some locks that don't like once they're disconnected, that's it. You got to go manually reconnect them and things like that. So these locks, they're expensive. They're $250 a piece, but they, you know, they set, they, they set the code themselves and they're, they're, the code goes to them through something called remote lock. And remote lock is the software. It's kind of the back end between owner res and the locks. And so owner res knows, knows what code to send the guest and owner res sends that code to remote lock and remote lock sends that code to the locks to activate only in certain time windows. So it's like a half an hour before check-in and a half an hour after checkout. That's as long as that code works. And then it's wiped from the system. Very slick. Very nice. And, and being an August lock customer, I can tell you, oh man, sometimes they go offline or they get, they get snarky and yeah, I got to send somebody over to the unit. I've got runners in town and I got to send them over to the unit, get it programmed. You know, oh my God, it's, yeah. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, we don't have that. The one problem we had, oh God, this is so bad. And but you, you say, but it's real quick. You say August locks are, are, or Schlage is expensive at two fifty. You should look at yeah. August locks. Cause they're not much, they che- they're not cheaper. They're oh. more. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. Well, I thought 250 was a lot. We had these like cheap schlags to start, but you had to go out there with like the little code. Oh yeah. And we would manually set it. And it it wasn't a big deal. The first three units here were kind of about learning. Sure. Right. We were here. There were three units in the back. We would talk to the cleaners during turnovers and we could manually set the locks. And every time somebody needed toilet paper, we could bring it to them. It was kind of all a learning experience. If I could go back, I would just I would get the schlags to start with, obviously, but right. once we got serious and once we got the automation, we needed the schlag encodes and, you know, we started trading things out, but I was just going to say this one little quick anecdote. One of the doors, the doors, the door on like the little shed cottage unit that we have was rubbing. And at some point it kind of rubbed the top of the door off and then water got in and then, so water got in all the way down to the lock and the lock like malfunctioned and locked a guest oh. in there. This is so ridiculous. 
And I ended up having to climb through this little tiny window and like take the lock apart and get the guest out. And that was kind of a nightmare. Schlage was nice enough to, they sent us a replacement lock, which was really sweet of them. And my uncle came down and replaced the door and, and everything like that. So we got that fixed. So we did learn that you real the door really needs to be perfect, right? Water can't get in, but also it needs to close perfectly because what you don't want is the lock trying to close, trying to close, trying to close, trying to close, and it, it not be able to. So right. that is one, that was, that was a learning point. And I had bruises on my legs for like a couple months after that. Oh but my God. I couldn't imagine that. That's funny. I was mad at the time, but I'm laughing now. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny how that works? It's like, I've yeah. had some weird situations too. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm like, this is crazy. And then now I can laugh at it. No big deal. So, um, let, let's talk about pricing. You know, you've got all these different units and different different prices. I imagine do you, you, your pricing is different based on booking channel, obviously, because some booking channels charge more fees than others, and you don't really want that to affect your bottom line. So, how does that pricing work? Are you manually pricing all these things? Is it automated? What's that look like? We did at first manually price through both VRBO and Airbnb. And I think if I recall, Airbnb at least lets you have like a weekend price and a weekday price, but the seasonal, I couldn't really get the seasonality right and things like that. But again, the first, we spent the first, you know, January to September with the three units truly just learning. We knew we probably weren't making as much money as we could. We probably weren't getting as high reviews as we could and things like that. But we, you know, it was all about learning. But when we added those other two listings, the primary and then and then the place in Hudson, we decided to also add in a price optimization software, which is called Price Labs. And right. Price Labs can act, it, as far as I know, it can integrate directly into VRBO or Airbnb. We have it integrate into owner res and then that and then owner res feeds the prices to Airbnb and VRBO. And there are a lot of customizations with price labs, which I really like. So length of stay, for example, we have our length of stay for weekends at three days, but on Thursday, on Wednesday, I think if the weekend's not booked, the weekend then goes to two days. So normally we can get like a weekend booking at the last minute every single time, pretty much. And, but most of the time we end up with three or more day bookings. And if you're really far out, like 60 days, you can make it like four or five. Nice. Very nice. And now, so there's like, yeah, go ahead. It, it you, the, the, one of the things I like about price labs is, is it, what you said that you can do if this, then that, because I do that too. We have our minimum at two. I'm not a big fan of weekend reservations unless of course they're orphan days and we get to right up to the weekend. I'm not going to let it sit vacant. We stay pretty darn full, but, um, I, I love the integration. I, you know, we, Price Labs integrates with the different booking channels, but I'll be honest, like Verbo, when Price Labs directly integrates with Verbo, it sometimes it's clunky and it disconnects because whatever reason, Verbo mm-hmm. doesn't like Price Labs integration. But I think maybe because you're doing it through Owner Res, so it's going from Price Labs to Owner Res, and then Owner Res is communicating with Verbo. Have you had any disconnect issues with Verbo, or is that working good for you? No. So when you start using the property management software like we are, your whole relationship with Verbo changes. So we have, if you look at our calendar, there's no calendar in Verbo anymore. They don't process the payments anymore. We have to process all Verbo payments through Stripe ourselves. Everything goes through us at that point. And all we do is pay Verbo a 5% commission every month. And because of that, we, it's just, it's basically like a referral service at this point, rather than like a native platform like Airbnb is. So no, we don't have any issues with that. 
What do you, what's your general opinion on booking.com since we're talking about pricing and the cost and all that stuff? I mean, are you a fan? Are you indifferent? Do you use it or? We haven't used it directly. I think booking.com some, we've gotten some like through Expedia right. to Verbo. And those are a nightmare because you can't communicate. Like at least at first we couldn't communicate directly with those guests. Yes, and I don't know if Verbo, if Verbo is connecting directly to booking.com or not, but I've heard some really bad things about it. I'm not sure. Booking.com is an f- absolute nightmare though. At least every time I've messed with it, my wife was looking at it the other day going, maybe we should, I'm like, no, we don't have any vacancy issues. So <laughs> let's not make it. Everything's working great. Let's just leave it alone. <laughs> Cause God, they are a nightmare. What percent of your bookings are Airbnb? Would you say? Uh, we intentionally have tweaked that. So it's very small. We're about uh, 20% Airbnb, 80% Verbo. Well, I shouldn't say that. 20% Airbnb, 30% Verbo, 50% direct book. Okay. Through our nice. website. That would be, I want to get there someday. About 80% of our bookings are through Airbnb right now. Google page on business. If you Google your, my business page is how we make that happen. Uh, it's, they're pretty robust these days. It used to be those pages were garbage and Google or Google finally got their act together in that regard. And we get a ton of direct booking. So, okay. yeah. yeah, I mean, we have a website and we've put on there formerly the bed and breakfast, right? And we put the bed and breakfast name on there. And so we've tried to drive traffic that way. Everybody that used to stay at the bed and breakfast, it seems like they want one night stays though, which I just, yeah, so fun. I don't, I don't deal with. I just don't think that's fair to the, the cleaners to have them here every single day. So no, I don't do that. Absolutely not. So you get, now you've, you, the units are running. You got to look at your profitability. You got to know where your math is. That brings us down to accounting software. Or what does that look like? And then are you guys, do you guys have a bookkeeper? Do you do this yourselves or what's that look like? Yeah. So Onares also integrates with QuickBooks so we can run reports kind of back and forth between the two. We do have a bookkeeper when we got our um, sixth, seventh and eighth units this year in 2022, we added a bookkeeper. She's I think $200 a month and she run she does the books for the whole month, right? Expenses, things like that. Right. She checks profitability and things. And then she also, so again, with Verbo or direct bookings, we have to collect certain tourist taxes, infrastructure taxes, things like that. And some of those get remitted to the county. Some of them get remitted to the state. Some of them are monthly. Some of them are quarterly. And our properties, we have three properties. We have eight, we have 12 doors, but three properties. So that kind of helps, but that's three different counties that we have to deal with. So she handles the remittance of all of those. And then she also does just the books, profit and loss and things like that every single month. Nice. Nice. So you don't have to worry about all that good stuff. And then no, it's, it's so worth it. And then payment processing, you said a lot of, some of that's manual when you're doing some of the stuff. Is that? Yeah, we're yeah, we're still, so in terms of people paying us, that's all automatic in terms of like the cleaners. So I have, I'm lucky enough that my one cleaner from Tarpon manages all of the cleaners, even the ones that are a couple hours North. She just hired people up there. So she invoices me like on Friday nights. And then on Monday, when I'm kind of sitting down to do my paperwork, I pay the cleaners for the, for the prior week. So there's some stuff, there's a little bit extra stuff that we do on Mondays, you know, like that's probably when we'll make Amazon orders. If we need anything, right. if we're going to pay for the landscapers monthly, we have one jacuzzi. So we have jacuzzi person monthly and, and things like that. So that's kind of when we do all of that, but that doesn't take very long. It's probably, I was thinking about this. I think I spend about an hour on Mondays and about 15 minutes 
each day the rest of the week. So it's not too bad. That's not bad at all. And you, mm-hmm. as far as landscapers, you're using a landscape company? We have an individual person, actually, one for both Tarpon and Hudson and then one for our place up in Cedar Key. Nice. So there, that's really an important thing. That's kind of the second most difficult thing behind the cleaners, I think, has been finding the right landscaper. Because, again, you have to look at it through two lenses, the, the view of a guest walking in, but also an owner, right? Like, are any plants dying? Right? Exactly. You know, just, just things like that. Like, don't don't kill my stuff. Don't don't burn them with fertilizer, you know, things like that. And so we're, we're pretty happy with who we who we have right now. But that's been the, the second hardest person to find behind the cleaner for sure, which yeah. I was I was surprised. I didn't I didn't see that coming. We actually, that was a lesson we learned as well. It was, it was a challenge. We were on the one-off individual guys and, and eventually they all seemed to tend to flake out. We wound up going with, um, Mugro brothers, uh, Mugro and sons. They, they're a great company and they're, they're Tarpon locals. They grew up, Jill went to high school with them cause, uh, she grew up in Tarpon Springs. So we like to keep it local and they've been treated us very well. And they actually show up every time like they're supposed to. And every time we do a surprise inspection, cause you know, we live down in Key West now, but we run up there every couple of months and we pop by and like, there's never a palm frond on the ground. Everything's always, the, you know, the, the, everything's raked and nice and neat and the bushes are trimmed. And that's, boy, is that a nice refreshing change because that was a big challenge for us too. Isn't it sad that you have to say something like when they say they're going to come, they come? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a given. It really shouldn't be, but unfortunately it is. And we had the same problem with cleaners. We made the mistake early on. Our first learning lesson was to go with a cleaning service. Which I my logic was is like if okay if I have a service then I've got lots of employees uh, cleaners that will they can choose from if somebody flakes out the problem is this particular cleaning company everybody they hired was a flake um, so they mm-hmm. would they would have like oh we're gonna have six different girls showing up today to clean two apartments and we'll just see who shows up and then yep. noon comes eleven you know one o'clock comes and nobody showed up yet it's like hello oh well this one's baby sick and this one's drunk and this one got arrested. And it's like, Oh my God, seriously. I know. I know. Well, and with that, what I've heard too on online forums and things like that is if it's a different person, every time they don't, they wouldn't notice things like, yes. Like my, my, one of my guest books went missing. This is it's kind of silly. turns out the guest spilled coffee on it. She's going to buy another one. Really sorry about it. But if it was a different person, a different cleaner from time to time, they wouldn't notice that or if something moved around or like at one point, like a rabbit, like a stuffed rabbit showed up and it's like that would have just stayed there forever or a new pillow or a hat or, you know, just things like that where if someone it's their first time, every time they're not going to notice when things are changing or when they're different than they were before. Exactly. We've got had the same cleaners now for years and um, Mm -hmm. thank God we pay them well and you know we, we pass it through. So we charge a hundred bucks to the guest and we pay the cleaner a hundred bucks. So there's no, it's not a profit center for us, but then again, our, mm-hmm. our cleaners are very well paid. <laughs> so they always, they always show up on time or early and they do a fantastic job because we, our comments, our reviews are like, this place is like a hospital. It's so clean. Yeah. It's like, I, that's my favorite thing to see. People will say yeah. the place was so clean. I'm like, Oh Yes. Exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> winning, winning. So now you've got your cleaner and tarpon managing your cleaners in in Cedar Key. How exactly does that work? Does she hire and hire them? And yep, she came up there and kind of interviewed them and hired them, and then just make sure that she schedules with them and and things like that. The reasoning there, there is a little bit of margin between what we pay the guest and what we pay our cleaners up there that goes to her. 
and a li- we have like a little bit like a four dollar linen allowance too for like messed up linens and stuff but right. um she loves cedar key and she, i just thought that if she was willing to do that for a little cut of each clean that would be helpful because she can she just knows how to speak their language and yes. you know about which cleaners which cleaning supplies to use and kind of also what's a reasonable request on their end and what's not right you know should we have a vacuum in each unit should we keep the vacuum in the shed you know just little things like that and and that just keeps one point of contact for me as well uh, so so far that's it's it's been a little bit clunky there's been some kind of weird situation so i did add the cleaners in cedar key are now in owner res and they can see the calendar as well so there's some you know there have been some things where we've just kind of been tweaking things along the way but she's been really good about onboarding them and really consistent um they've you know they missed one clean i don't know if that has ever happened to you tyler where they just it just falls off the calendar for whatever reason so we had one guest get there at four and it wasn't clean, but the cleaner came was clean by like five 30 and the guest left a five star review and, and kind of all of that. So there's, there's always a little bit of hiccups, I think when you're bringing new units online, but overall it's, it's working pretty well. That's, that's happened to us. And what we did is uh, it happened more than once. Unfortunately, we got a handle on it, but I made a deal with a, a buddy of mine owns a Greek restaurant down on the docks. His name is Svika Mike Kersiotis. And uh, we went out to it's Yanni's. If you ever go there, since you live in yeah. Carbon, go to, yep, yep. go in and ask for Svika and tell him Tyler said hi. He'll <laughs> he'll treat you like a Greek. It'll be great. But um, we have I, I keep a little retainer with him. So if we have a boo boo, <laughs> I can tell the guest, hey, let me treat you to a traditional Greek dinner. Go over to Yanni's. When the waiter shows up, ask for Svika and tell him that you're guests of Tyler's, and they will f- just spoil them rotten. And then he just bills me for it, which is a beautiful thing. And it saved our Heine a couple of times. So he'll do that that's, for you. That's a great idea. What we've been doing is we've just kept like gift cards actually to Mr. Sublaki's. We've kept gift cards there and we just, we've, we've sent them there. Um, what we did in Cedar key was immediately refund the cleaning fee. Right. And the cleaner was like, I'm not taking payment for this. This is my fault. And, and so we, we kind of fixed that really quickly. I feel like whenever there's an issue if you end up with a five-star review out of it, you handled it well. You Amen. Know? Amen. Cause there's no such thing as no problems. You're going to have problems. You're going to screw things up. It's just the reality of things, guys. I mean, you just got to realize that. So I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, Lauren. One of the things that kept me from buying a short-term rental in Cedar key, I've got acreage up there and I have a cabin up there, but that's out in the, in the, in the country is I've been nervous about the cleaners because as you know, it's a very remote community. So your cleaners to try to get somebody to drive from Gainesville or from Chiefland to clean in Cedar key is a big ask. Um, that's a big, that's a, you know, it could be a 45 minute drive from either location, depending on how things are going. Um, so I guess your cleaners must live in Cedar key. Uh, we have one in Rosewood and one that has a Chiefland address, but I think it's out almost on like, 345 or, or kind of like tour pretty pretty close to cedar key so right. it's not too bad they also clean for other short-term rentals on cedar key so okay. they're 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 very comfortable going out there and things like that and we had some really good interviews with some different people that's the one nice thing that maybe you, you deal with in key west too is there's a lot of short-term rentals so there are a lot of it seems to be there are some you know somebody's cleaning these things yes absolutely. so there are cleaners with that experience and knowledge like that and in tarpon there seems to be like a lot of cleaners but they've not done short-term rentals before and that's a pro tip that i have for anybody who's getting started you should ask your cleaner 
Have you cleaned a short-term rental before? Have you stayed in a short-term rental before? Yes. What do you look for when you are a guest? And what are some things that you're watching out for when you're cleaning? And also this idea of, okay, let's say some guest leaves the place very clean. You were there two days ago. The place is pretty clean. Obviously, you're going to sanitize and disinfect it. What will you do if you have a little bit of extra time, maybe while the laundry is getting done or whatever, you know, they'll say, well, I'll do the blinds that day, or I'll do the baseboards that day, or I'll do an extra deep clean on the oven or, or kind of whatever. There's just, there's a, it's not the same thing as cleaning somebody's house once a month or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's a good question. I never actually thought about asking that question because I, I know a lot of the people over the years that we made the mistake of hiring would probably answer, well, I checked my Instagram and then like, <laughs> no, no, you're missing my point. <laughs> I know exactly. So I, I, I mean, I get that the laundry is, is a hard part. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a critical path item. I'm sure it's, it's much worse even for huge units, but even our two bedrooms, it takes a little bit longer to do the laundry than it takes to clean the place. And so, but there's normally kind of little extra things here or there that, that the cleaners can do. And, and it just makes sense you can't deep clean the place every time, you know, you kind of have to do a little bit extra here and there. Right. And, and I've, we found we've been very lucky with our cleaners so far and, and I'm really happy with them. And the best way to be happy with their cleaners is to see those, those reviews come in where you get the five stars for clean. And they also mention it and those, those make my heart so happy. Yes, me too. I, me too. That's for sure. So let's, let's talk about your podcast here before we end. Cause I want folks to go over there. It's adulting is easy. And you're on pretty much all the podcatchers, I imagine. Yep. Out there. And what's the show about? So it's a general personal finance show, but the idea is that we make adulting easier by making money easier. Nice. So you're basically taking the the confusing Wall Street uh, road scholar element out of personal finance and dumbing it down so that people like me can understand it and not go broke in the process. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, we've covered a lot of topics, everything from, you know, the 4% rule, for example, compound interest, things like that. And of course there's probably half of them at this point are going to be real estate related because that's who like my followers on Twitter, that's kind of what I'm becoming known for and things like that. So different areas of real estate, you know, single families, short-term rentals, obviously buying big multifamilies, things like that, kind of every personal finance topic and investing topic, because I really do believe that if you can get your money in order, life becomes just, just a little bit easier. And I think we all, we all need that, especially right now. That's for sure. Cause boy, things are changing fast, aren't they? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So the, your website I see on here is real adulting is easy. That's a couple of different words are real adulting is easy.com. And then of course, uh, vacation, if you want to stay at one of Lauren's places, you can go to vacationnaturecoast.com. Is that correct? Yep. That's right. And then I'm on Twitter at adulting is easy. Adulting that's where I'm most, that's where I'm most active on social. All right. At adulting is easy. I, what do you think? I, you've been on Twitter a long time couple years. Yeah. I have a hard time following it. Maybe it, it makes you want to break out on a Tourette's. Like, it's like tick, 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 tick. It's like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> I'm old, you know? <laughs> I recently have gotten pretty close to a few people on Twitter and we go live. We're going live right now, every Wednesday night, a few of us, and we cover different topics, but we also do Q and A's. It's, it's kind of people that have real estate. My friend has, you know, 10, 10 uh, rentals and 
Dallas and also 10 in Toledo, Ohio. My friend has some, there's a couple of guys who have some in Canada. So we talk real estate pretty often on Wednesday nights. And that's made me really close to people. Interviewing people for my podcast has allowed me to meet people. And then I'm going to FinCon this year, again, to kind of connect with some of the different accounts and personalities that I've met on Twitter. And I'm hoping to expand Instagram and, and things like that. It does take some getting used to, but once you kind of find a community of people that you're closer with that you kind of get to know who they are for real. It gets a little bit easier. That's cool. Everybody I, I bumped into in there, but in the past is like, they're all, I felt like most of them were angry. It's like, why are we, why are we all so angry? So everybody calm down. <laughs> you know? I hear that. I right? hear that. I live in Key yeah. West. We don't, anger is like outlawed <laughs> in Key West. We don't do that here. We've gone out on Duval street. We have a drink, right? So thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, guys, uh, hundred episodes in that's a podcast that's going to be around a long, long time. Lauren, thank you so much for coming out today. Thanks for having me, Tyler guys. There you have it. I mean, there's a great idea of what to do, right? The, I, you guys know I've been doing this a long time. It's good to meet other purveyors out there that are doing the things the right way. They're building a business. They're keeping tabs on things. They're working towards financial freedom. And more importantly, they're willing to share it with the local community. And that's what it's all about. So guys, you need to head over to Adulting is Easy um, on any podcast player, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it may be, and you'll find that out there. You can also reach her at realadultingiseasy.com. Uh, reach out to Lauren if you're on Twitter, Adulting is Easy, and connect and see if you can grow to the next level. We'll see you next week, guys. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.